Father, again, uh, we, we bow our heads in acknowledgement of the fact that you are Lord, that you're King, you're ruler of the universe, and how you are doing things and how you're going to do things is for your purposes and for your glory and for your sake. Lord, tonight we gather together again just uh, with a desire to, to study your word, have you teach us and speak to us and help us understand the things that are to be understood. Lord, maybe we okay with the things that aren't understood because you have not chosen to reveal them or at least not at least at this point in our lives. Lord, uh, I thank you for the excitement that I have to teach this, this chapter tonight uh, when in years past it's been a real uh, tough one for me. Uh, Lord, I thank you for what you've been doing and opening my eyes a little bit, and I look forward to sharing what it is you've shown me. Again, Lord, it's you who does the teaching, not Jim. It's your word that's alive. It's your spirit which opens our eyes and our hearts. And so we just come to you and say, continue what you've been doing for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 24. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you, uh, and then we're going to kind of take a look at some things in this, but I'm going to just set the stage by saying I have considered this probably the toughest chapter in the whole Bible, uh, in all of the Bible to, to interpret and to understand for many, many years. And I'm excited about tonight because in my wrestling with this over a while, God has begun to really open my eyes to some things and I'm looking forward to teaching it. And it's still a tough one, I'll be honest with you, but it's not as tough in my eyes now as it used to be. And so what I have been honestly dreading a little bit in teaching when we got get beginning to this chapter, now I'm actually very excited about getting to. So we looked last week in chapter 17 at the destruction of religious Babylon and the false world uh, religion systems that have all had their headquarters in Babylon and, and started there. And today we're going to look at the fall of commercial Babylon. All right. And so it says, after this, chapter 18, verse 1, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, and of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. 
All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off. Terrified at her torment, they will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ships, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men, but by your magic spell all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints, and of all who have been killed on the earth. Now, hopefully you understand from this chapter that this is actually talking about a literal city that is going to be destroyed. There's more to it, though, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. Now, as I said before, this is one of the hardest chapters in the Bible to interpret. Uh, but by comparing this chapter with the whole of Scripture, which is what we've been doing in our study of Revelation, uh, it will become, begin to come clear. Um, now, as I stated last week, I believe that this chapter is not only describing the destruction of commercial Babylon, but also the literal city of Babylon as well. I really believe that that this is actually describing the destruction in the very last days of the city of Babylon, along with everything else that it represents. Now, for years, though, there have been two main objections to this type of an interpretation. Uh, the first uh, objection is the fact that many, many believe that the scripture just said that Babylon, that existed before, uh, was never to be rebuilt. And, uh, and so they think it's already been destroyed, never to have been rebuilt. And the second uh, objection to that, this interpretation has been that the, in this chapter it appears to be a port city, some say, and uh, Babylon's not near any sea. To be honest with you, if you did a little research, you'll find that Babylon is over 300 miles as the crow flies from the Persian Gulf. Alright, so but I'm going to deal with those objections tonight in our study of this passage. I actually think I can show you scripturally that both of those objections can be refuted from the Bible. Alright, so let's go ahead and take a look at it. I gave to you tonight uh, a little, little handy cheat sheet because we're going to be covering more scriptures than this, but I figured these would be very helpful for you because there are going to be so many we're going to look at that I didn't want anybody to get confused. I also want you to keep your little scripture notes here because I'm going to tell you how to mark them up a little bit as we go because there are going to be some cross-referencing uh, on your little notes here, some places in Revelation that I want you to write down next to some of these verses. Alright, so put a bookmark here in Revelation 18 and let's go to Isaiah 13. Now I'm going to read to you verses 1 through chapter 14, verse 23 to kind of set the whole stage of what's going on here. But then we're going to go back and take a look at some of the breakdowns of this chapter, or the chapter two chapters actually, and show you how it can't be describing the destruction of Babylon that happened earlier. Alright, let's take a look at it. Alright, an oracle concerning Babylon 
chapter 13 of Isaiah, verse 1, an oracle concerning Babylon that Isaiah the son of Amos saw. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop, shout to them, beckon to them to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my holy ones, I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath, those who rejoice in my triumph. Listen, a noise on the mountains like that of a great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of His wrath to destroy the whole country. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of all this, hand, uh, because of this all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven in their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and the humble, and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of His burning anger. Like a hunted gazelle, like sheep without a shepherd, each will return to his own people. Each will flee to his native land. Whoever is captured will be thrust through. All who are caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted and their wives ravished. See, I will stir up against them the Medes, who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on the infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians' pride, will be overthrown by God, like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there, no shepherd will rest his flocks there. But desert creatures will lie there, jackals will fill her houses, there the owls will dwell, and there the wild goats will leap about. Hyenas will howl in her strongholds, jackals in her luxurious palaces. Her time is at hand, and her days will not be prolonged. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again he will choose Israel, and will settle them in their own land. Aliens will join them and unite with the house of Jacob. Nations will take them and bring them to their own place. And the house of Israel will possess, all, possess the nations as men servants and maidservants in the Lord's land. They will make captives of their captors and rule over their oppressors. On the day the Lord gives you re relief from suffering and turmoil and cruel bondage, you will take up this taunt against the king of, the ba of Babylon." How the oppressor has come to an end, how his fury has ended. The Lord has broken the rod of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, which in anger struck down peoples with unceasing blows, and in fury subdued nations with relentless aggression. All the lands are at rest and at peace. They break into singing. Even the pine trees and the cedars of Lebanon exult over you and say, Now that you have been laid low, no woodsman comes to cut us down. The grave below is still is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you, all those who were leaders in the world, and makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over the nations, they will all respond. They will say to you, You have become weak as we are. You have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave, along with the noise of your harps. 
Maggots are spread out beneath you, and worms cover you. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the uttermost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you and they ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a desert, who overthrew its cities and would not let its captives go home? All the kings of the nations lie in state, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You are covered with the slain, with those pierced by the sword. Those who descend to the stones of the pit like a corpse trampled underfoot. You will not join them in burial, for you have destroyed your land and killed your people. The offspring of the wicked will never be mentioned again. Prepare a place to slaughter his sons for the sins of their forefathers. They are not to rise to inherit the land and cover the earth with their cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord Almighty. I will cut off from Babylon her name and survivors, her offspring and descendants, declares the Lord. I will turn her into a place for owls and into a swampland. I will sweep her with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, if you've been even trying to follow this, you would realize, good grief, what in the world's going on here? Because there's a lot of prophecy here, and if, you, if you've been studying prophecy with us so far in this study of Revelation and looking at prophecy throughout the Scripture, you hopefully come to realize it doesn't read straight. They'll be, in this section, talking about something down the road. Yet the next verses will talk about something that's going to happen soon. And then maybe the next section of verses will be talking about something down the road. And, and in the same way in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus spoke the same way when talking about the end of the world and His coming. And as you try to read it chronologically, it doesn't work. But there's a section here, and then this section here is going to talk about that. And that's what's going on here. And so that's why I've made your little cheat sheet for you here. We're going to go back over chapter 13 and 14, and we're going to pull out some sections of this to help you see that what is being described here is not only a destruction that was going to be coming to Babylon in the days that it was written, but it was also talking about a future destruction that has not happened yet. Okay, you with me so far? Alright, and so in chapter 13, you see in your little notes there, verses 3 through 6, here, look at how God describes this part of the destruction. He said, I've commanded my holy ones, I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath, those who rejoice in, in my triumph. And then it goes on and says in the verse 4, The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of His wrath to destroy the whole country, and then wait for the day the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. It's obvious from this passage, His holy ones who rejoice in His triumph are not the Medes and the Persians, correct? Would you describe the Medes and the Persians who came at this time and destroyed Babylon, or at least overtook Babylon? We're going to get to the fact that they really didn't destroy them in the way that we would think. But you can't. God wouldn't be calling the Medes and the Persians His holy ones, that's for sure. Uh, and they don't rejoice in His triumph, they rejoice in their triumph. All right. And they also said they come from the end of the heavens. In verses 9-14, through 14, uh, it talks about the day of the Lord is coming. And as you see that, that's a passage we've come back to prior as we've been studying the tribulation period, right? Why did we come back to this passage at another time to describe the tribulation period? What's happening in verses 9 through 14? His wrath. His wrath, okay. And, and how is it manifested? 
Look at verses, verse 10. Yeah, the stars are going to stop shining, the sun won't shine, the moon won't shine. That's not going to happen until the tribulation period, right? It also says He's going to make the heavens and the earth tremble and shake from its place in the day of His burning anger. So it's obvious as you're studying this now, wait a minute, He can't just be talking about the time when Babylon lost its authority and power and the Medes and Persians came in. There must be another thing He's talking about here as well. And so what I want to suggest to you, and I want you to wrestle with it, I don't want you to take my word for it, I believe that Babylon will be, is already, but I believe it will be rebuilt and will be the headquarters of this one world government at the end of the world. And God, when He brings His final wrath and judgment at the end of the tribulation period, will not only bring judgment on the wicked world system that has been in existence, definitely back to the time of Babylon, but He will also destroy literal Babylon. Go ahead. I think geographically it'll be in the same place. And and in time, you'll see why. Alright? This is also where it says the Lord is covenant Lord, which means there's more to it than just that's it's the whole of this covenant from the beginning of time for us. That's right. Now you see in verse seventeen though, he does say he's gonna stir up the Medes. And he does. He does use the Medes, and he did use the Medes to bring destruction of sort to the Babylonians, but it wasn't the destruction that we're going to be reading about. And, and in order to do that, let me give you a little bit of history that might help you a little bit. Um, when the Medes and the Persians came and overtook Babylon, they didn't destroy the city. Actually, how they did it was they dammed up the Euphrates River on two sides. All right, And when that water went down, see the walls of Babylon at that time went, of the city went down into the Euphrates. And you couldn't get under them because of the water. So they actually made it so that the water of the Euphrates was dammed up and it dried up where the walls were and then they dug underneath the walls of the city, actually came up into the city, went to the front gates, opened them, and then the armies marched right in. And that's how they did it. And if you remember back in our study of the book of Daniel, as you go through the book of Daniel, a lot of chapters will start off in the year of Nebuchadnezzar, in the summer's year of Belteshazzar. And then it says, in the year of Darius the Mede. Or Cyrus, the Persian. Remember, what happened was, the Medes and the Persians took over, but they didn't destroy the city. They just took over and inhabited those places. Yet these prophecies are saying that Babylon is to be destroyed and never to be lived in again. So if you're going to be real faithful to the literal interpretation of the Scriptures... Babylon has not been destroyed in that manner yet. Actually, in, uh, uh, and some of you ever heard of the man Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. And uh, he, he actually has got a lot of historical background of the Jewish nation. He actually has recorded that Babylon was being lived in at the day when he was alive. And he was alive at least past A.D. 70 because he wrote about all the destruction that happened in Jerusalem by the Romans in A.D. 70. And so when, when he was writing his book, his historical accounts, people were living in Babylon at that time. And so, excuse me, whenever we come across a place that says it shall never be inhabited again, it can't be describing about the destruction that happened to Babylon when they lost their authority and power and were taken over by the Medes and the Persians. It must be referring to something else, or God wasn't right when He said they wouldn't be inhabited again. So let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to verses 19 through 22. It says, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians, pride, will be overthrown by God. How? Like Sodom and Gomorrah. How was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Totally. 
totally destroyed and annihilated. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will rest his flocks there. Who do we know has been living there up until a few years ago when our armies went and removed him? Saddam Hussein, correct? He's rebuilding Babylon and he had a palace there. And Was he an Arab? Yes. Again, the scripture shows us that literally it says that that won't happen when this destruction comes. I really believe that the destruction of Babylon is still, that this prophecy is talking about in parts, is still future. Alright? So, let's move on to chapter 14 and look at verses 22 and 23. God says, I'll rise up against them, declares the Lord Almighty. I will cut off from Babylon her name and survivors, her offspring and descendants, declares the Lord. Again, here God says He's going to totally annihilate them. Her name will be even gone. Well, that hasn't happened yet. We're still sitting around talking about Babylon. Alright? So I don't believe that this prophecy has been totally fulfilled yet. Yes, sir? But is Babylon really existing now other than whatever Saddam Hussein rebuilt? Uh, I well, it, 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 for a time, it appeared to be destroyed. But here's the thing. It talks about in the prophecy here, it's going to happen in one day, in one hour. We keep seeing this instantly. It's going to be boom, and it's destroyed. The destruction that happened to that city was over a period of time. But it's being rebuilt right now. I mean, it's actually becoming a very commercial. If you actually just do some Google Earth or whatever and see, it's being rebuilt. It's becoming a commercial headquarters. People are fighting for the oil rights to be able to work in that area of the country. And people are literally going as tourists to Babylon. It's actually become a place of commercial trade. I don't think it's even close to what the Bible said it's going to be in the last days. But it appears that it's going to be rebuilt. And I'll show you a place where actually the scripture even hints at the fact that it's going to be rebuilt. Alright? So if you stick with me, I think the scripture even hints that it's going to be in the last days. And we'll get to that in just a second. Alright? So we're in, uh, we're in Isaiah chapter... Um, no, we just did 14, verses 22 and 23. Now I want you to do is I want you to move in your Bibles to chapters 50 and 51 of Jeremiah. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read these whole chapters to you. Because if you take even a look at chapter 51, you'll see that it covers many, many pages in your Bible. Alright? But what I've done is I've gone through the whole chapter 50 and 51 and pulled out some places that will help us to understand this a little bit. Alright? Alright? Again, Jeremiah 50 and 51 also describe Babylon's destruction. And some of it refers to the Medes and the Persians that were coming right away. And others have not been fulfilled yet. And we'll see what we're looking at. Chapter 50, look at verses 4 and 5 to start with. It says, in those days at that time, this is a message about Babylon, in those days at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. Has that one happened yet? Now you remember how it said in Zechariah, they'll weep and mourn and look on him whom they've pierced? Here it says, in those days the people of Israel and people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They'll ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it and they'll come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. 
Well, that hasn't happened yet. Yes, God is rebuilding the nation of Israel and gathering them from the lands that He scattered them. Ezekiel 37 is being fulfilled, but it hasn't been fulfilled yet. And so what we're looking at here is a prophecy that's obvious, something future. Okay? Now, look at verses, uh, verse 8. It says, Flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians, and be like the goats that lead the flock. Now, what I want you to do is put a bookmark here in chapter 50 and quickly flip back to your bookmark in chapter 18 of Revelation. Because you're going to see us flip back and forth. And I want you to, on your little notes that you have here, the little uh, white paper, I want you to write down, next to chapter 50, verse 8 of Jeremiah, write down Revelation 18.4. Alright? Listen to Revelation 18, verse 4. Talking about the destruction of Babylon at the end. Then I heard of another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Alright? God says, I'm about to destroy Babylon. I want you to come out of her, my people. Now, we see there in chapter 50, verse 8, a very similar kind of a thing. Flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians, and be like the goats that lead the flock. Get out of Babylon. You're going to see this happen a lot, by the way, where God says, get out of Babylon. And it parallels with Revelation 18, verse 4. Uh, Go to chapter 50, verse 20. Again, we see that phrase, in those days... And at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for Israel's guilt, but there will be none. And for the sins of Judah, but none will be found. For I will forgive the remnant I spare. Has this happened yet? No. So this prophecy must be referring not only to the Medes and the Persians' time, but it also must be referring to something future. All right? Now, let's go take a look at another one. Let's take a look at Isaiah 50, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 50, verse 23. It says, How broken and shattered is the hammer of the whole earth. How desolate is Babylon among the nations. Again, just another verse that talks about it being laid waste. Verses 35 through 40. It says, A sword against the Babylonians, declares the Lord, against those who live in Babylon, and against her officials and wise men. A sword against her false prophets. They will become fools. A sword against her warriors. They will be filled with terror. A sword against her horses and chariots and all the foreigners in her ranks. They will become women. A sword against her treasures. They will be plundered. A drought on her waters. They will dry up. For it is a land of idols, idols that will go mad with terror. So desert creatures and hyenas will live there, and there the owl will dwell. It will never again be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, along with their neighboring towns, declares the Lord, so no one will live there, no man will dwell in it. We have to agree that this has to be a future destruction. Because whether you think it's being rebuilt or not, people are living in that town. So this has got to be future. But it's also very interesting. Look back again at verse 38. You're going to see this start to come up a little bit. It says, a drought on her waters, they will dry up. Well, what are, what are some of the waters there around Babylon? Does anybody know where Babylon is and what water it sits on? The Euphrates River. It sits on the banks of the Euphrates River. Now, do we know anything about the Euphrates River drying up? Does anybody remember that we've been studying the book of Revelation? And in the end, one of the angels pours out of their bowl and the Euphrates River is dried up? You're going to see that even some more as we continue on. Go to chapter 50, verse, uh, 51, verse 6. 
Does this sound familiar? Flee from Babylon. Write this down next to 51 verse 6. Write down Revelation 18.4 again, where it says, Come out of her, my people. Flee from Babylon. Run for your lives. Do not be destroyed because of her sins. It is time for the Lord's vengeance. He will pay her what she deserves. Alright? Now, when the nation of Israel was in captivity in Babylon, could they leave? <laughs> that's why they were captives. They weren't free to go. But at this time, anybody that's God's people have the ability to get out before this destruction comes. Now look at verses 7 through 10. Uh, verses 7 through 10. It says, Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. She made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, they have now gone mad. Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken, wail over her, get balm for her pain, for perhaps she can be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. Let us leave her and each go to his own land, for her judgment reaches to the skies, and it reaches as high as the clouds. The Lord has vindicated us. Come, let us tell in Zion what the Lord our God has done. Alright? Now, somebody... Look at verse 7. What, does that look familiar? Does verse 7 ring a bell with anyone? And if it doesn't, it's okay, because we only just read it a few minutes ago. Put a bookmark here. Go back to Revelation chapter 18 and look at verse 3. We're going to compare Jeremiah 51, 7 with Revelation 18, 3. So you want to write that down on your white piece of paper next to 51, 7 through 10. Write Revelation 18, 3. I'm going to read Jeremiah 51.7 again, and then I'm going to read to you Revelation 18.3. It says, Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. She made the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore they have now gone mad. Chapter 18 of Revelation verse 3 says, For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Do you see a parallel there? So there's a, I'll get right to you, Neil. There's a very strong possibility, and I think I can say with almost 100% surety, that Jeremiah 51.7 is tied to and referring to the same thing that's going on in Revelation 18.3. Go ahead. I just have a question. Could the wine be oil? Could the wine be oil? You know what? That's a possibility, but I'm, I'm just going to say that my thinking is it's just the whole wine makes someone drunk. And if and so it's the whole idea of just getting stupid. Yeah, I don't think it represents oil per se. I think it's more of the fact of it's just you know revelry and and uh, you 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 know you drank what they had to offer and you did stupid stuff. You know what I'm saying? You know, but you know, like I say, there are some people that might see that there. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. All right. Now, chapter 51, verse 26. Of, of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 51, verse 26. Again, still talking about Babylon. No rock will be taken from you for a cornerstone, nor any stone for a foundation, for you will be desolate forever, declares the Lord. Again, if you take the Scripture literally, this has been happening. They are building things in this city. But the Scripture says one day... It will never, ever use a stone from there ever for a foundation, and it will be desolate forever. 
Again, what I've been trying to lay out for you is that there have been, there's been an objection over the years to the fact that some prophecy teachers say that the headquarters of the Antichrist kingdom will be Babylon because people say, no, the scripture said it will be destroyed, never to be inhabited. And I say, I agree, but I don't believe that that's been fulfilled yet. As we compare what's going on in the world with what the prophecy says, we have to agree it hasn't happened the way the prophecy literally says. There's some more. Go to chapter 51, verses 36 and 37. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. See, I will defend your cause and avenge you. I will, look at this, I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Babylon will be a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and scorn, a place where no one lives. Can't be much more clear than that. Hadn't happened yet. All right? Go to chapter 51, verses 41 through 49. Now, in your white pieces of paper, right next to 51, 41 through 49, write down Revelation 18.4 with verse 45. Verse 45 in Revelation 18.4 are going to say the same thing again. Actually going to say it even more clear. Alright, chapter 51, verse 41 says, How Shishak will be captured, and by the way, that's a cryptogram for Babylon. How Shishak will be captured, the boast of the whole earth seized. What a horror Babylon will be among the nations. The sea will rise over Babylon. Its roaring waves will cover her. Her towns will be desolate, a dry and desert land, a land where no one lives, through which no man travels. I will punish Bel in Babylon and make him spew out what he has swallowed. The nations will no longer stream to him and the wall of Babylon will fall. Come out of her, my people. Run for your lives. Run from the fierce anger of the Lord. Do not lose heart or be afraid when rumors are heard in the land. One rumor comes this year and another the next. Rumors of violence in the land and of a ruler against ruler. For the time will surely come when I will punish the idols of Babylon. Her whole land will be disgraced and her slain will all lie fallen within her. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon. For out of the north destroyers will attack her, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall because of Israel's slain, just as the slain and all the earth have fallen because of Babylon. Did you catch this? The slain of all the earth are tied back to Babylon. This is a future. This is a future. But look again at verse 45. Again, the best way to interpret Scripture is to use, let Scripture interpret Scripture. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, God spoke, and John wrote it down, and God says, Come out of her, my people. Here in Jeremiah 51, verse 45, God says, Come out of her, my people. Again, talking about Babylon. So folks, if you're going to be faithful to interpret Scripture, you've got to see that chapter 40, uh, 51, verse 45 ties exactly to Revelation 18.4. Well, Revelation 18.4 is talking about a future destruction of Babylon, whatever Babylon is. And Jeremiah's 51's description of the destruction of Babylon therefore must be future. Must be future. Alright? Let me show you one more, and then we're going to do some more comparison. Chapter 51, verses 52 and 53. It says, But the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish her idols, and throughout her land the wounded will groan. Now look closely. Even if Babylon reaches the sky and fortifies her lofty stronghold, 
I will send destroyers against her, declares the Lord. Do you see it? Even if Babylon tries to build themselves up, I'll destroy it. So again, since I have been trying my whole life to be faithful to literally interpret the Scripture when there's no other... I mean, when it's obviously that must be what it's talking about, and all throughout the Revelation has said Babylon. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. For years, I have not seen it as Babylon because most of the prophecy teachers for years have said it was Rome or whatever. But the more I've begun to study the Word, the more I've really looked at it, the more I've had to say, you know what? Why would we change the name of the city? Maybe it is Babylon. And then... As God continued to open my eyes to more, and as I really started to break these passages down, and oh, by the way, there's more. We're going to get to them. We have more than you have listed here. The more I came to realize, this is talking about something future. And you know what? Maybe Babylon means Babylon. All right? Now, in order to deal with that, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It says, I will punish Bell. Right. Well, you want my honest opinion? This is Jim's interpretation of it. I think it's referring to Satan. I think it's referring to Satan because we didn't take the time to get into it. But back in chapter uh, thirteen of, uh, sorry, chapter fourteen of Isaiah, there was a prophecy there, which was not only talking about the king of Babylon at that time, but it was also talking about Satan. We didn't take the time to go into it. But it was also referring to Satan. I think throughout this prophecy, and that's another whole study and another whole time to really go and break that down. I think God is sending a message to Satan through all this as well. Because he's been behind all of this. Yes, it was yes, it was chief. Go ahead, say it again. Chief chief what word you use? Entities? Yeah, deities. But as you know, who's behind it? Satan. Yes. But yes. But it's one of their chief deities is Baal. And remember, you have, you have this called Baal sometimes. Other times it's called Baal. You know? It's, but he's, God's talking to Satan. It's another interesting study. If you were to go back and really look at the book of Job, does Job even know why all this stuff's going on? He doesn't. He doesn't have the insight that we do to see that actually this all came about because of a conversation between Satan and God. And in chapter 41, we see a very interesting conversation go on between God and Job. And God says to Job, can you handle Leviathan? And as you look at the description of Leviathan, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. That's not a crocodile. It frustrates me that that commentaries try to take something we have now and make it fit. But if you look closely at the description of Leviathan in Job 41, it is a fire-breathing dragon. It's not a crocodile. It is a fire-breathing dragon. You go look. It talks about how fire literally comes from its nostrils. And when it moves, the seas are are disturbed. And they say, you try to go at it with a hook or a spear, you'll you'll never do that again. Well, we've even seen, you know, the crocodile hunter, him and a couple guys tackle a crocodile, you know. And then it's very interesting. At the end, all the way through, you know, Satan is described as who? The dragon, the great serpent, all this kind of stuff. At the very end of that description in Job 41, God describes Leviathan as the king over all who were proud. You know what I honestly think? I think God made a fire-breathing dragon that represented Satan on the earth, and man couldn't touch him. Yet God destroyed him. There's actually a place in the book of Psalms that says that God put to death Leviathan. 
I think throughout all of this, not only is God sending a message to the Nebuchadnezzar and Babylonians of that day that the judgment was going to come to them, but He was also pointing a picture to the day when at the very end Babylon will be rebuilt and God would utterly destroy it in front of the whole world as a final... Oh, and by the way, He's also sending a message to Satan. I think Bel is Satan. He's saying, I'm going to destroy you too. I'm going to destroy you too. That's why back in Isaiah 13, in chapter 14, when it's talking about the destruction of Babylon, you said you would ascend to the Most High. You would, sit, you would be like the Most High. He was referring to Satan when he left. And you were, remember, cast down to the earth, it said. So look at chapter 51 here of Jeremiah. Look at verses 62 through 64. And we're going to compare them with Revelation chapter 18, verse 21. And in uh, Jeremiah 51, verses 62 through 64... It says, then, you, then say, O Lord, you have said you will destroy this place, still talking about Babylon, so that neither man nor animal will live in it, and it will be desolate forever. When you finish reading this scroll, Jeremiah is told, tie a stone to it and throw it where? Into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring upon her and her people will fall. Now, let's compare that with Revelation chapter 18, verse 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Very similar picture here. Again, if you're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture... I believe this destruction in chapter 18 of Babylon is not only commercial Babylon and how it's affected the whole world, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but it's also the city of Babylon, I believe, is going to be rebuilt and be a headquarters for the Antichrist kingdom. Let me show you one more place. Compare, you see on your notes there, let's compare Isaiah 47, verses 7 through 9, with Revelation 18 and a couple of places there. So go back to Isaiah, go to to Isaiah 47. Now, those of you who have your study Bibles there, what does it say above chapter 47? The fall of Babylon. Okay, again, a further prophecy about the fall of Babylon. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9. You said, I will continue forever the eternal queen, but you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Now then listen, you wanton creature, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children, both of these will overtake you in a moment, on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. Alright? So, whoever Babylon is here says, I sit as the eternal queen, I will never be a widow, and then they have sorceries and potent spells. Go to Revelation chapter 18, look at verses 7 and 8. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen. I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She'll be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And then compare that with 18 verse 23. The light of the lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bride and bridegroom will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, or some of your translations say sorceries, 
All the nations were led astray, and her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints, and all have been killed. Do you see back in chapter 47 of Isaiah, though, it says, and all, they will come in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. There's a parallel here between this prophecy of destruction of Babylon and what is said in Revelation 18. Alright? So, it's obvious to us, hopefully, that this description of destruction of whatever Babylon is in Revelation 18 has got to be future. Therefore, if it ties in with these prophecies in old times, if you will, of destruction of Babylon, those prophecies in the old times in Isaiah and Jeremiah must be referring to a very last time and an end time description. Now, just for the fun of it, I know we're running short of time, but I think we can do this. I just want to read to you, but I want you to follow along. I just ran across this in my study, and we didn't have time to really break it down. I just want to read it to you. Go to Isaiah 48. You want to talk about an awesome, exciting passage. Isaiah 48. It's again talking about this future end, end, end of days, starting in verse 12, where it says, Israel freed... It says, Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel whom I have called. I am he, I am the first and the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission whoever this hymn is. Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At, that, at the time it happens, I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me with his spirit. This is what the Lord says. You are a redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be cut off nor destroyed before me. Leave Babylon. You see it again? Come out of her, my people. Leave Babylon. Flee from the Babylonians. Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made the water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And then it goes on and talks about the restoration of Israel done by Jesus. There's a, there's a constant theme here of the fact that there's going to be a future destruction of Babylon, fully gathering of Israel, where he's, they're going to look on him and they're going to weep and he's going to forgive their sins and the remnant that he's spared and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth and Babylon will not be inhabited during that time period. Hasn't happened yet. Now, that's the first objection. First objection um, is, is that some people say that Babylon was not to be rebuilt. I understand that. I agree. But I don't think that those scriptures have been fulfilled yet. And hopefully I've proven my point enough to make you not want to ask anymore. But number two, the second objection is this. Some say, okay, Jim, maybe you can go there. But it kind of reads back in chapter, 17, or chapter 18, verse 17. Go to Revelation 17, 18, 17. It reads like there are people in boats watching the destruction of Babylon. And as we've already talked about, Babylon is really not close to a seaport. It's over 300 miles as the crow flies from any port. Alright, so they're, gonna, they're saying, wait a minute, how in the world could this be Babylon then if it's not on a seaport? 
Well, first of all, Babylon's on a body of water, river Euphrates, but we've already seen that's going to be dried up. All right? So let's not worry about that. But what I want to show you is that I've wrestled with this myself. And uh, actually, the verses don't say that these ship captains are actually watching from Babylon's shore. That has been inferred over the years. We're going to take a close look at this again, and I'm going to show you that the Scripture really doesn't say that they're actually watching from Babylon's shore. We've inferred that because that was the interpretation. Now listen, that was the interpretation prior to television. That was the interpretation prior to the invention of satellite TV. Because when we read that they stood and watched the smoke of its burning... This was prior to television or satellite TV, and so our assumption was they had to have been there in their boats from the shore. I was that way for a while. But as I wrestled with the fact that God kept showing me, no, Jim, this is actually literal Babylon, I said, Lord, how can it be? Because I know that I've always interpreted that the guys are staying on their ships. And then God showed me that, first of all, it could happen that they could see it and not have to be right there. Because, by the way, the distance between uh, the Persian Gulf and Babylon is like from here to Valdosta, Georgia. If, if it was burning, you probably wouldn't see it. But then God also showed me, if you will take the same way you would interpret other places in this same passage that describe people standing afar off and watching, and apply it to the ships, it really doesn't say that they're actually standing on the shore watching. Look closely what it says. It says, verse 17, In one hour... Such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. That's going to be important. When they see the smoke of a burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They'll throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Whoa, 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 great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. And then it says, Rejoice over her. Alright? So before we break this down, let's now go and compare other places here in the same passage that talk about groups standing far off. And you're going to start off in verse 9. It says, When the kings of the earth, who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Alright? So, who's it describing here, seeing the smoke of her burning? The kings of what? Are we, are we automatically assuming that all the kings of the earth are standing there and watching it? No. TV. TV. When the kings of the earth see her burning, it's probably going to be seen on television. My heading for nine says, destruction. Yeah, the earth, the kings of the earth mourn. So we don't automatically assume that they're standing on the shore watching Babylon burn. All right, now look at the next verse. Verse 10, terrified at her torment, they will stand afar off. What does afar off mean? I don't know, but everybody else is standing afar off. But it says all the kings of the earth see it. So it must not mean that they're standing literally there. Whoa, whoa, great city, oh Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. Then verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Then verse 15, the merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off. Have you noticed that they've been repeating over and over that all these people that are seeing the destruction of Babylon are standing far off? Is there a possibility that it's just talking about the fact that it will be seen all over the world? And then if you read these ships people again now with the same light, it doesn't have to be that they're on their boats standing on the shore. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. 
When they see the smoke of her burning, they'll exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They'll throw dust on their heads and they'll regret that no one's going to buy their stuff anymore. When you read it like you read those other ones, now it appears that they don't have to be there on the shore watching the literal burning. You have to understand, prior to television, when we were trying to interpret the Scripture, that's the only way we could even fathom that they could see the burning. We thought they had to be right there. So the two objections to Babylon that I've had over the years are, well, that says this to be never to be inhabited. Well, I don't think that's been fulfilled yet. Secondly, these ship captains don't actually have to be right there to watch it. Jim. Yes, sir. My reference to 17 says that obviously these shipmasters and passengers or sailors are just people who actually sail. And then it gives you a reference of 1810 at a distance, right. Yeah, like I say, we have, myself included, over the years when we read that, we just pictured them standing in their boats watching it burn. And it never really said that. It never really said that they were standing in their boats watching it burn as much as it just said the sea captains, those who sail the ships and do the merchants that way, they're going to regret that that city's been destroyed. Go ahead. It could be Google Earth. It could be who knows what. But again, what happened was, even for me was, I was just kind of assuming that they were there, but it never said that they were there. So that argument could be blown up. Go ahead, Allison. Oh, I thought you had your hand up. Go ahead, Herb. They're standing afar off for fear of a torment. Definitely, that's part of it. Which is a fallout from this atomic bomb they're off It might be. It's going to be a sudden destruction in one hour, and it's laid waste. I agree. <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't even want to be within 300 miles if someone's dropping an atomic bomb on it. Kind of a deal. So again, folks, I just throw this out to you. Please don't say, well, I believe it because Jim says it. Don't ever do that. Alright? But I actually believe that, that it actually is literal Babylon. But it refers to more than just the city. And we'll wrap up with this. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll be honest with you, I couldn't even tell you that. Right. I, honestly, this is this is just talking about all those who are going to believe in him during these last days. Definitely, the Jewish nation is a big part of that. Um, as you know, Gentiles are being saved during this time period too. You know. So go ahead. That's where I'm going as we wrap up. That's exactly. I think we can't just say, well, that's future, because I think it's definitely referring to those days. But there's more to it than that, folks, because why is God judging literal Babylon? Because of the destruction that has occurred from it throughout the whole world, because of what it had caused and what it has, has started that has affected the whole earth. Therefore, we need to also understand that God doesn't want us to be a part of that either. We'll say, well, I don't live in Babylon. I'm good. No, you live in Babylon. It has made its way into our world today. We live in Babylon, folks. It carries over to where we are. And that's why the Scriptures say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be living for things and for now and for money and possessions and all the stuff that's on TV. Don't be living for that. That's why I'm going to read you one last passage and we'll wrap up with that. Go to the book of James, chapter 4, and we'll close with this. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. 
So don't hear me say, well, that doesn't refer to us. I think it does refer to us still. And here's what it says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Here, James ties this quarreling and fighting over stuff we want. Not getting what we want with friendship with the world. What's the pattern of this world? You can sum it up in two words. Me first. Isn't that it? That sums it all up. Me first. And then you think of all these TV commercials. Obey your thirst. Have it your way. You deserve a break today. And they sell to what? That desire within us to have things the way we want. So, yes, God's going to one day destroy literal Babylon, even though she be rebuilt and be built to the skies. But He's destroying literal Babylon because of all that has happened in the world because of literal Babylon. Therefore, in these days that we live, even though we won't be here when that happens, we need to make sure that we're not hanging out and living the way, hanging out with and living the way people do who are going to be destroyed because of God's hatred toward that way of life. So, come out of her, my people, is a call to us too. Let me pray for us. Father, as we uh, wrap this study up, I thank you again for this chance to open up your word. And Lord, as we take the time to really take a look, we became amazed at how much of Revelation has already been written in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and all these places. Father, you've shown it to us for a reason, and you've told us that blessed are those who read it and take it to heart. Lord, we don't understand all of it. I don't understand all of it, but I know this much. You've given it to us for a reason, and you've told us to take it to heart, and it'll make sense when we need it to make sense and how you want us to understand it. But Lord, at the same time, we know that you've laid a challenge on us tonight as we've closed to not be like the world. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that uh, you won't destroy us because of our becoming like the world and that you give us more grace. Yet at the same time, uh, we don't want to cause you to be provoked to jealousy. Lord, we want you to be first and foremost in our lives. We want the decisions we make be made because we love you the most. And so, Father, today, by your grace, give us the grace to be humble and to seek you and repent and to strive on a daily basis by the power of your Spirit to live solely living for you and centered on you. And Father, one day when you come get us, we'll have an opportunity to no longer be in this flesh and wrestle anymore against the things of this world. But until then, may we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray.
Amen.